0: We interrupt this program to bring you Courage, the Cowardly Dog Show! Starring Courage, the Cowardly Dog!
1: You're listening to That's Pretty Dark.
2: The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children.
1: And still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us. As we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders
2: and under our beds and in our closets and together we'll realize, whoa, well, that's pretty that's dark. That's pretty
0: dark.
1: <laughs> Hullabaloo and howdy-do, y'all.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I should have known that's what you oh, were going to Oh, man. <laughs> I 100%. I should have cut you off. I should have guessed it. You should have. I'm disappointed mm. in myself.
1: Musty prawns. Timbuktu. Timbuktu. 2. Oh, man. Wow. What a day. My brain is mush. Mm. You ready to carry this episode?
2: Oh, yeah. Even though you're the one with the notes, I'll be the one with the, the episode on my back. We'll see how it goes. Maybe I'm going to be batting it back to you. That's
1: fine. Right. We'll ping pong. It's almost like we'll talk to each other and record this episode like it's a conversation.
2: What a what a concept. What a concept. What a great idea you're having.
1: Well, welcome to That's Pretty Dark, guys. My
2: name is Kaylin.
1: My name's Christian.
2: So you, like the amazing ghost host that you are are wearing our merch right now
1: <laughs> I am amazing and I am wearing our merch you're
2: right <laughs> you've got our logo tee our flashlight logo short sleeve tee yeah I like a bad ghost host I'm wearing my Aerosmith tank top <laughs> no that's just as good <laughs> it's not pretty dark um, but I've been wearing my merch literally all week long and it's now in the laundry so I had to wear Aerosmith today
1: this is the first episode completely researched and written uh, in the that's pretty dark tank nice and And it's going to be recorded in the That's Pretty Dark tea. I wonder if
2: they'll be able to hear the difference.
1: Speaking of tea, I've been drinking tea and coffee out of my That's Pretty Dark mug.
2: You're just decked out.
1: I'm representing. Our
2: patrons have already kind of had a soft launch of our merch. So some of them have already been receiving their Pretty Dark goodies. Mm -hmm. And we're very excited, listener, to tell you that everyone can get their own That's Pretty Dark merch now, when this episode goes live. As of
1: right now. So you
2: can go on our website and go to the merch tab. That's com, And it's going to take you to our Printify pop-up where our merch lives. And you can just shop to your heart's content. And Rep That's Pretty Dark wherever you go. Yeah. And when people ask you, what's that cool logo on your shirt? You can say, well, it's my favorite podcast. That's pretty.
1: <laughs> Or like me, when I was running through my neighborhood with my tank on, I was like, that's pretty dark Go listen Yeah, I can totally dark. see
2: you doing that.
1: Podcast. And all the old people were like, what's a podcast? <laughs> well, we're going to stop hawking our wares and get down yeah, to I'm business. I'm done with that.
2: I'm, I'm not good at it, but no, I did want to make sure it. you guys knew that it existed. Hey,
1: I think you did great. Hey,
2: thanks. Hey, thank you. And
1: I'm not just saying that because I'm your friend.
2: Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I believe you, but...
1: <laughs> we are covering today Courage the Cowardly Dog, The Demon in the Mattress, slash... Freaky Fred.
2: Episode four.
1: This episode released on December 3rd, 1999. And I have to say, this episode scared the musty prawns out of me (laughs) when I was a little kid.
2: Me too, dude. I was terrified of this one. Yeah. Terrified.
1: I don't know. This may be, to me, the scariest Courage episode.
2: It is up there. Like,
1: potentially. Mm -hmm. So... I'm honored that I got to do this one. I know. I it was just looking ahead out. and
2: I knew that it was going to land on being a Christian episode. It just worked out.
1: Hey, but you get to do King Ramsey's.
2: Do I? Okay. Well, I think that's how it works out. I'll take it.
1: So I get to do Mattress Demon and Freaky Fred. I don't think, I don't feel like I deserve it. It's such it. an
2: honor. I know. I don't think I'm up
1: to the challenge. I think I've you deserve it. Right. I think you're up
2: to the challenge, but I do think it's a high honor for this courage episode. This is one that we get, you know, a lot of messages about, comments about. People talk about these two, both of them.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, i'm I've been so excited just for these two. I know that there's a lot of lore and uh, fun stuff that you're going to take us through, so I can't wait.
1: So the IMDB summary. Muriel needs a new mattress. The one she orders comes with a bonus, a demon, which takes over her body. Courage must find a way to get rid of the demon and the new mattress. <laughs> this episode was written by John Dilworth and Irvin Bauer and it was directed by John Dilworth.
0: eustace i want a new mattress and that's the end of the matter
1: like the summary says the bags need a new mattress and by the looks of it they've done needed a new mattress for a long ass time
2: yeah i mean honestly most people do to be fair like if you haven't thought (laughs) about getting a new mattress listener now might be the time i i don't have a an ad to place here but Mm -hmm. most people are sleeping on mattresses that are far too old
1: yeah i have a note at the end that this would be the perfect episode for uh, a mattress ad sponsor.
2: It really would.
1: It's too bad, but I
2: missed opportunity for
1: somebody. I mean, you might need a new mattress for like your back or your spine or your neck or something, but Mm -hmm. most people don't have exposed springs sticking up out of the fabric. Right. Come on guys. You would hope not. Maybe some people do. I don't know how you live your life, but Muriel's had enough. So while she's making Courage's breakfast, on the next morn, a big old slab of meat, Mm -hmm. Eustace discovers an ad for a mattress sale in the Nowhere newspaper. A mattress special for a special mattress.
0: Ooh, a mattress special? With our mattress, we'll change your life forever.
1: Which courage, ever the alarmist and rightfully so, recognizes as a bad thing? Mm -hmm. We don't want our lives to change forever, we just want a new mattress.
2: (laughs) That so much to ask? And also, this is the second time that Eustace just sees an ad in the paper and just goes hard for it. Like, yes, that's for me. This is the thing. <laughs> yes, yes. And he sees, oh, uh, he saw the Bigfoot thing on the news. I mean, he's getting all of yeah. his information from the Nowhere News, honestly. And he's sure, well, doing that's all they have. Yeah, whatever yeah. they ask him to do, hook, line, and sinker. Make a purchase? You got it. That's for me.
1: Ooh, it's an interesting commentary on fascism and how the media can influence every decision we make.
2: Yeah, it's also uh, a testament to Eustace's ego because I feel like he thinks that everything, the ads, all of it are speaking directly to him. He takes it as, I'm the only person that they're referring to.
1: Oh, yeah. He totally you know? bought into so many infomercials. <laughs> Could you see him up late at night just like oh, yes. buying the ShamWow? Surfing and channels? All, cl- oh, oh, ShamWow, uh, OxyClean. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> If he wasn't so stingy with his money, I could see him buying so right, much. Right,
2: that's stuff. the thing. He's so stingy with every cent that he makes, but even still, every <laughs> ad is uh, targeted at Eustace apparently.
1: So Muriel dials the number on the ad. And through the phone comes organ music and the voice of the Vincent Price of mattress sales. Are you
0: ready to change your life forever? Oh, yes. I want to change my life forever. We have a special on our deluxe
2: life-changing mattress. Immediately, I'd rather not. Thank you.
1: And the voice says, (laughs) it's soft, it's smooth, no lumps. Mm. And Muriel doesn't like lumps. They've Mm -mm. got lumps.
2: We need a lumpless mattress. So
1: Again, it sounds like a marvelous Mrs. Maisel.
2: It does, because it's very, like... Back and forth, ping pongy kind of lumps? feeling. Lumps. Don't like
1: lumps. We've got lumps.
2: And the fact that Courage picks up the other line. Yeah,
1: he's listening in the whole time.
2: That made inherent sense to us, mm-hmm. but I feel like kids watching it today might hesitate, like, huh? Yep. But if she's on that phone, how is he hearing her?
1: Right, yeah, they don't understand uh, landlines, yeah.
2: Man, I'm sure we all have our own memories of landlines and, and how that uh impacted our social lives.
1: <laughs> so the voice says they'll send it right over. Muriel tries to give him their address, but he says, we know
2: that we've been moment
1: waiting for you.
2: Shivers up my spine. You encourage. The thought that Mia and Courage, yeah. The thought that like <laughs> I mean, me too, but. they would already know where I am at and how to get to me. That's that's the same as like we, we talk about it all the time. The the phone calls coming from inside the house kind of thing. Like yeah. I'm watching you. That immediately triggers me.
1: The implications there are pretty heavy. Can't stand the it. The insinuation that they knew. They needed a new mattress. Almost like they put the ad in the newspaper in the, that right. morning.
2: Like it was for targeted them. for them. Yeah, maybe Eustace isn't wrong.
1: <laughs> maybe, hey, <laughs> maybe. And in nowhere, this is possible. Like where, where else would this be possible except nowhere? Mm-hmm. If not, like the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Which I'm not convinced this isn't in the Twilight Zone. Not
2: only do most ads sound too good to be true, but most ads sound too close to home. Ooh. For the bags
1: encourage says that he says this sounds too good to be true when he goes to listen mm-hmm. and it's so funny to me when he tries to get muriel not to accept the mattress he's like "No,
2: do not do Do not do i always do ask my cats what do you know i i shorten. oh because
1: that bird the what doing
2: it's a bird it's a bird from tiktok What um, doing? that infiltrated my brain and so yeah now i say to my cats what do <laughs> what do buzz what do phoebe Right now, Phoebe's uh, staring at the wall behind me really intently. Can you see her? Oh,
1: oh, I can. That's so yeah. creepy.
2: What are you doing, I see her Phoebes?
1: eyes glowing. Phoebe, do not do.
2: Do not do, Phoebe. She's gonna do.
1: <laughs> she always do.
2: She always do what she do.
1: We know how she do. Mm, we do. Sweet Muriel, <laughs> who at most scratched her head at the curious phone exchange, Pat's courage on his head and tells him how excited she is to have her new mattress. Mm -hmm. And we just want Muriel to have her new mattress. I mean,
2: she doesn't want for much. She wants a fixed rocking chair and she wants a non-lumpy mattress. No demons included. We know how that feels. That's all we need. Honestly, it's comfort at the end of the day. Lord
1: of mercy, you're telling me. (laughs) Now that the mattress has been ordered, it must be delivered. Not from a warehouse or a store, but from a deep red cave, complete with green glowing chandeliers and stalactites that honestly look like so many uvulas. Mm-hmm. It's gross.
2: It looks like uranium glass. Uranium? Yeah, because it's glowing. That's timely. Exactly.
1: Two characters charge down the cave's throat to collect the mattress for delivery. These are the rat and the weasel. Yeah. And they retrieve a day-glow green mattress from somewhere unseen Way down in
2: the cave's belt. If the viewer hasn't picked up on it yet by the weird phone exchange and the fact that they're watching Courage the Cowardly Dog, <laughs> they surely should recognize that there's a problem here when they see that rat and that weasel.
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: That lets you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, there is something funky going on with the mattress.
1: These guys are pretty spooky. And may very well be the results of one of those nowhere conspiracy theories we talked about in part two of our Intro to Courage
2: series. Like some kind of experiment gone wrong.
1: Yes, either victims of radiation mutation or Mm. one of those cruel animal experiments.
2: Honestly, radiation mutation with the the cave and everything you're saying, radiation would be a plausible explanation for why they are the way they are, because ick.
1: Either that or vivisection. (laughs) operations on live animals without anesthesia for the sake of experimentation or scientific research mm-hmm. quote-unquote scientific research
2: in batty's uh, batty rap in fern gully he says he's been vivisectified and fed pesticides
1: historically this is also with the intention of causing distress to the subject to see how much it could endure before it inevitably succumbed to the torture Mm. and this is likely one of the cruel scientific practices that mary shelley herself was attempting to criticize with Mm -hmm. frankenstein
2: it's a theme that comes up often honestly besides just batty we have brave little toaster Mm -hmm. it comes up all the time
1: the rat is this sort of bloated hunchbacked little critter
2: Mm. who has
1: a giant scar down his back that seems to almost imply that the hunch is some type of implant just a hunch
2: (laughs) Nicely done. The
1: weasel, thanks. The weasel, however, has a horrendously bulging eye that the wiki fandom suggests might be made of glass, and his tail is either bandaged up from some injury, or it's actually the tail of a rattlesnake, making the weasel A victim of parabiosis, Mm. or the joining together of two separate organisms to make one physiological being.
2: That makes me uncomfortable. His looking at the eye made me uncomfortable, but talking about it makes me even more uncomfortable. So if that's the case for you, listener, you're not alone. Just remember. It's a big
1: old bulging eye. Now, famously, The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells features both vivisection and parabiosis as cruel and unusual scientific practices. And I'll say it till I'm blue in the face as great as H.G. Wells was. This would not have been possible without the influence of Frankenstein and Mary Shelley Amen. inventing the sci-fi genre. Amen. But I have been convinced ever since we started Courage that eventually we were going to talk about the island of Dr. Moreau. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention it here. I think we will be able to deep dive into that on a later date. Okay. But I just wanted to, you know, plug Throw it.
2: Throw it out there. The, this is the direction we're thinking in. I
1: think it just fits in this weird- World. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nowhere, uh, Twilight Zone-esque-
2: I think you're onto something. World. I think you just might have a hunch. Like you said, hopefully and not, not implanted. the surgically implanted kind. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Ugh, I'm oh, never man. gonna be able to. Oh, I'm, I just can't get that <laughs> image out of my head. It's making my shoulder blades hurt.
1: <laughs> the rat and the weasel deliver the mattress to the Bag's house by way of horse-drawn carriage, and this gave me some serious Doolahan vibes.
2: Yes, with the black
1: carriage and all.
2: That's what I wrote down. The Doolahan.
1: But aside from its whole gothic appearance, the carriage is given its otherworldly vibe by way of 3d animation mm-hmm. as its wheels turn and it journeys across the nowhere landscape
2: it's definitely um reminiscent of the doula hunt from the headless cabbie episode like we absolutely we went all into that if you haven't heard it yet and it it is spooky some of my
1: favorite research that we've covered
2: honestly it's so scary and yeah. this is really a very um it seems very derivative of that idea it does yeah because we know obviously we know that cars exist in nowhere we just had mm-hmm. the hothead episode oh
1: yeah they have their farm truck yeah
2: but this mattress instead is delivered by horse-drawn carriage and why else would that be if not for some evil or nefarious reason when uh, you get a good look at the thing <laughs> i
1: know and i'll go ahead and say here that the rat and the weasel return in uh, courage in the big stinking city when they give courage a lift on the black carriage mm-hmm. to give them a ride.
2: They've got some business ventures that they're into.
1: <laughs> I guess it becomes a taxi. I this don't is know. just
2: one of many. It seems mm-hmm. as though they're mining mattresses from the cave of radiation.
1: So they're just two rodents in a carriage.
2: Yeah. Got some entrepreneurial dreams.
1: Big stuff. I hope they do well.
2: <laughs> Big stuff, little critters.
1: Especially after all the experimentation. <laughs> Scientific experiments. We also see here the trash pile at the side of the bag's house. We see the old mattress that looks 10 times worse Mm -hmm. than it did about 12 hours ago.
2: Yeah.
1: And we also see a trash bag hanging out of one of the cans, and it reads Dilly Bags. I see,
2: I saw that.
1: Dilly Bags just sounds like a nickname. It does. (laughs) Courage is understandably concerned. As they carry the mattress into the farmhouse, not only does the weasel hiss at Courage for no apparent reason... (laughs) But a large, demonic face appears in the fabric of the mattress and growls at Courage, who naturally is the only one who notices.
0: Doesn't it look lovely?
1: Poor Courage.
2: What I noticed about this episode is that it really hit the fear right up front. It really brought the air of not just eerie uncertainty, but actual Mm -hmm. horror in Immediately. This is the
1: first one that felt like its whole purpose was just to scare you.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's, it's marked honestly different than the other episodes. It feels different because the other episodes kind of lead into it with some sort of false sense of security. Yes, And there's no security. There's no uh, mattress to break your fall. There's no safety net. With the mattress episode, it just like kicks into gear. That is interesting. I
1: was trying to figure out what felt different. I think that's it.
2: They wanted to give as much screen time as possible to the (laughs) demon in the mattress. I have a bad feeling about this, but my name is Ivana, and it's not.
1: This is where things take a turn toward the pretty dark. With the new mattress on the bed frame, its signature green color seems to be reflecting, or emitting off the presence of the mattress, mm-hmm. and taking possession of everything else in the room. Mm-hmm. The walls, the floor, even the furniture now have the same green color. Which
2: could be argued that's radiation related.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it could It could also be radiation. The only thing that doesn't glow green, for now, is Muriel.
2: I'm going to have a lovely little nap now. Sounds great in theory.
1: In theory, a delightful afternoon. But just as soon as she falls asleep, the mattress's nefarious nature is revealed. Wisps of spectral green smoke creep out from under the bed and surround Muriel like curls of ectoplasmic tendrils. Mm. And they proceed to enter Muriel through her nose.
2: The old nostrils.
1: (laughs) The old up the nostril trick.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I can say I remembered this vividly Mm -hmm. from my childhood. Me too vividly.
1: (laughs) Here's the rub. Muriel is now possessed by the mattress demon. Mm -hmm. And when she (laughs) levitates off the bed and hovers midair, Courage basically shits his puppy pants. He does. And splits the the ladder in half and falls to the ground because he's watching from the window.
2: She locked him out. As soon as she started to levitate. And of course, as a kid, I think I understood the vague reference, but as an adult, I was like, I can't believe they did that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I can't believe they pulled this off. Both of these episodes we're talking about tonight. Mm -hmm. I can't believe they pulled off. I really can't.
2: This is one of those where it's like, really? Wow. That's pretty dark. This
1: one feels like it didn't happen, but it did. Mm -hmm. For the remainder of this segment, I want to just break down the different terrifying things that happen while Muriel is possessed and where those visuals came from. The broad strokes regarding courage and Eustace are that this is the first time they team up to save Muriel from the threat. Yep, not
2: the last. I have that time, written down too. Like first. it's so odd to see this pairing after. I mean, even earlier in this episode, he kicks Courage out of his seat at the table. Yeah, you know, clearly they're not they're they're still not on great terms. But he's
1: still an asshole yeah, about everything.
2: Yeah, but this is definitely the first time that we see them. Like Eustace sees the threat too. He acknowledges like, finally, it. Finally. Yes. yes. Eustace sees what courage sees, you know.
1: Yeah, he's not immune to the evilness. It's just it takes something more evil than him
2: mm-hmm. for him to, to make him kind of wake up to the reality.
1: Recognize it. Yeah. Eustace is practically useless this whole time, but we'll address his main contribution at the end, because that will be this episode's final reference to the 1973 horror phenomenon that this whole episode is spoofing. Mm -hmm. That film is William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist, starring Linda Blair as the 12-year-old girl named Reagan, who is suddenly and inexplicably possessed by a demon. Mm -hmm. This film remains one of the most successful, profitable, and influential horror movies ever made. And one of the coolest things about it is all the folklore surrounding its production, from Set accidents to numerous deaths and other uh, production issues. Oh my gosh! Um, that have led many people to claim the production was cursed. Wow! The director William Friedkin said in one interview, "I'm not a convert to the occult, but after all I've seen on this film, I definitely believe in demonic possession." Whoa! We were plagued by strange and sinister things from the beginning.
2: Oh my gosh!
1: So I think. We could save all that fun stuff for like a Patreon mini episode.
2: Yeah, I'm sure that we could uh, talk about The Exorcist for quite a while.
1: But before we get into all the references in our Courage episode tonight, I think it's important to address a little bit of the history and the legacy of The Exorcist. Mm
2: -hmm. I think we should. I think it's helpful. (laughs) Because as I was watching, I was like, wait a second, that's Exorcist. That's Exorcist too."
1: (laughs) And I just watched that this weekend. Um, I had never seen the whole thing all the way through from beginning to end. so. Something surprised me. I'll say that much. Yeah,
2: honestly, I don't know if I have myself. My uncle would be, <laughs> not to make light of it, but rolling over in his grave because uh, he he, <laughs> he loved that movie it. and quoted it a lot. And I feel like he would uh, yeah. he would want me to see it. So I need to get on that too. Mm-hmm.
1: This is the same uncle who would love this podcast.
2: Oh, he would. Yeah. The same uncle that, that loved, loved horror movies, loved The Haunted Mansion. Yeah, he was into it. Oh, yeah. Big reason why I am, honestly, into stories in general.
1: The Exorcist screenplay was adapted from The Exorcist novel, both written by William Peter Blatty. He also produced on the picture and won an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. Wow. It was also the highest grossing R-rated horror film until 2017.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: With the release of It Part 1. Wow. Which now holds the title.
2: That's wild. I know. Highest stuff. grossing and so seventy three you said
1: seventy three until wow. two thousand seventeen.
2: That's amazing, actually.
1: Blatty loosely based the novel on a real life exorcism performed on a supposedly demon possessed fourteen year old boy in nineteen forty nine. Mm. The boy's identity was kept anonymous in the documentation, but he's been referred to as both Roland Doe and Robbie Mannheim. Okay, which I know the name Robbie Mannheim. I've heard that plenty of times on podcasts and such.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I have too.
1: The exorcism was documented by Catholic priest Raymond J. Bishop, yeah. and William Blatty used many of those details in the exorcist novel, mm-hmm. including, but not limited to, strange noises in the house, objects seemingly moving on their own, the bed shaking uncontrollably, speaking in a guttural voice, coming out of wrist restraints, and the aversion to anything sacred, quote unquote, anything sacred. Mm-hmm. We're talking crucifixes, holy water, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Two notable events during the exorcism are specifically Robbie's mattress shaking <laughs> and Robbie removing a bedspring to use as a sharp weapon yeah. against the priests. Okay. So this seems like an intentional choice on the part of uh, Dilworth or whoever was involved in this episode in getting uh, the bags a new mattress because their old one had exposed (laughs) bedsprings.
2: We might have found the tie here.
1: Or it's a very, very, very happy coincidence.
2: Unhappy coincidence.
1: Just a hunch. (laughs) Father Karras in the film says that exorcisms don't really happen anymore. So he's clearly understating this reality because Mm -hmm. the whole story is based on a real life exorcism that was just performed a couple decades before. So while this isn't exactly true, there are truths behind this false statement that are worth analyzing. Namely, the reality that for most people, if not just those in America, the overwhelming belief in the presence of the devil or demons hadn't been a fixture of society. Since about the early 1700s, when folks realized that witch hunts resulted in nothing but hysteria and the murder of innocent people. Yes. So for a long time, majority of superstition surrounding the devil was reserved for small town sermons in rustic communities that focused on the concept of old time religion Mm -hmm. and abstaining from any earthly pleasure that might keep you from living a holy life worthy of salvation, lest the devil get you. Mm-hmm. We know what that's like.
2: We do. Speaking of things being close to home. Right.
1: But this turned the devil into a sleeping beast in more ways than one. Lying in wait of his next chance to terrorize the masses. An underlying illness waiting to do some serious damage. In other words, there's a reason we've had a satanic panic in this country. And in a lot of ways, unfortunately, it begins with the exorcist.
2: Man. All the way back to 73.
1: In the story, when Reagan's mother meets with the group of doctors who suggest speaking with a priest about an exorcism, they first explain what an exorcism is, saying it's a stylized ritual in which a rabbi or priest try to drive out a demon, and then they say that exorcism has been widely discarded except for the Catholics. And then later, when she speaks with Father Karras, he says he's never met a priest who has performed an exorcism, and that they've pretty much stopped doing it now that they know more about mental illness. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of truth to that, thankfully. Yeah. And it's hard to wrap our heads around this today, but what all this is suggesting is that the concept of demon possession and exorcisms and the devil weren't widely accepted or even available to the average person at that time. Mm-hmm. They didn't see ads for demon possession movies all the time like we do now. Right,
2: that's true.
1: But the popularity of the exorcist film brought these concepts screaming back into the postmodern zeitgeist, therefore, giving evangelists and Southern Baptists and all kinds of God fearing folks a stepping stone by which they could then raise themselves up and shout, See, do you see now what we've been talking about? <laughs> there it is on the screen. Right. Many people have credited the exorcist with either establishing or reaffirming their faith, and many believers have regarded it as acceptable viewing Wow! because they consider it an honest perspective of God, Satan, and the Bible, because it doesn't promote the occult, it warns against it.
2: Right, okay. Well, okay. Makes sense. <laughs> I it's really complicated for somebody in a position like ours where we've grown up with so much fear around these things. Yeah. Largely due to the concepts that you're describing and the way that it was brought into popular culture. And I
1: grew up very afraid of demons.
2: Yes. And I did very too. Very afraid. Very, very much so because it was, yeah. the thing is like, it was very clear to us or tra- made clear to us as children that things like um, ghosts and mummies and mm-hmm. Frankenstein and the classic horror monsters, werewolves, you know, none of that was really considered real. But in the case of demons or demon possession, there was another layer there mm-hmm. for most Christian households. I like
1: any horror film to do with any of that stuff. I never, I have never liked demon movies, you don't, demon possession movies. Yeah,
2: you, you really don't.
1: They're not fun. Because I grew up believing it was real.
2: Right. It depends on the movie for me and like the context where it's come coming from, because I do think that it's been done well in fiction on occasion. The Exorcist probably being one of those times.
1: I mean, I enjoy it now. Yeah. It was fun now, but there's a reason I didn't watch it totally. There's now. a
2: reason. Exactly. Exactly. It was too close to home. It hit too close to what might or might not be real or what might or might not be waiting for you in the darkness of your own home or mind. Yeah. And so that's that's something that a lot of us do have to contend with growing up in a space like that and like, you know, trying to figure out and and parse out for ourselves, you know, where the lines are, I guess. Definitely. But there's a reason that the fear still sticks with us, especially, because we we saw it as if not truth, then a very striking portrayal of mm. what could be true. Yeah different Bible stories that come up a lot now that like I remember very vividly or being afraid of yeah. is the demons being cast into the sea, into the swine. Yeah, the
1: Gadarene swine.
2: And we hear from a demon, you know, in the that story, there's a perspective where the demon speaks to Jesus. He's given a voice. Yeah. um, And so that always stuck with me as being very, very scary because it seemed very real. Um, well, because when
1: you're when you're taught that it is literally literal word, fact, word real, exactly these are things that happened without a doubt.
2: Then it is you reality, have to believe you, it. You have no you have no other context, so it's real. You have no choice. And I don't yeah. remember being taught so much that like a situation like The Exorcist could happen in life, but I do remember being taught that demons were real. So it's like mm-hmm. I don't know. The lines are just all really blurry for me. But I know that that's part of why it's. Especially why this yeah. Courage episode, for example, in 1999 so would have really scared me. Same. Because it was, again, just like we talked about with um, All Dogs Go to Heaven, an example of something biblical, somewhat, mm-hmm. happening in front of my eyes in a very visual way.
1: But to speak to the reach of this film and probably why it wound up becoming a Courage the Cowardly Dog episode... Giving the satanic panic a leg to stand on isn't the only effect The actress has had on history, especially when it comes to cinema. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first, if not the first, example of turning the horror genre into an art house piece, paving the way for many other highly stylized horror films to follow, such as Kubrick's The Shining. Mm-hmm. But it also encouraged studios to invest in other horror films like The Omen and The Amityville Horror that had similar themes, giving them much larger budgets than they would have had otherwise, making them the iconic classics, classics that they are today. And in fact, The Exorcist was so successful, it was one of the first modern horror films to launch a franchise when Warner initiated a sequel. Right. It started the trend of when there's a new horror film,
2: it's a sequel. it
1: launches a franchise. Right. Yeah. But what's most significant for our episode tonight is all of the visual imagery to do with Reagan's possession mm-hmm. and the exorcism scenes and a few different points of absolute horror that the film employs to terrify its audience, which were then spoofed in Courage the Cowardly Dog in 1999. The first, as we've mentioned, was when Muriel is initially possessed, and she levitates off the bed. In the Exorcist film, this happens to Reagan at a pivotal point during the Exorcism sequence just after she severs her wrist restraints in a, quote, vulgar display of power Mm -hmm. and levitates off the bed. This was said to be the most challenging sequence to film.
2: I can understand why.
1: A hole had to be cut in the ceiling above the bed to allow for the rig that would lift her off the bed using monofilament wires that the director insisted be painted on the day, not in post-production, for every single take. Wow. And Linda Blair, as Reagan had to wear a bodysuit under her nightgown, which had hooks Mm -hmm. for the wires to attach to. Wow. And for the remainder of the episode, Muriel is pretty much just sitting up in bed and looking absolutely terrifying. Not only is her skin green, but she has sharp teeth, and her orange hair floats out in all directions like she's touching a Van de Graaff generator. You know, like the big electric ball thing (laughs) you put your hand on? Your hair stands out.
2: Very Medusa.
1: But she notices courage and uses watching her from the doorway. And she speaks in a very gruff, Ugh. frightening voice to come out of a changed myriad.
2: It like turns my stomach. Won't you
1: join me? And pats the bed next to her. No thanks. This is very suggestive. Yeah. And I can't help but assume this question is a direct reference to how the demon, inside Reagan, tries to get everyone to get freaky with her. <laughs> for a large portion of the movie. Wild.
2: Wild stuff. Wild, truly.
1: And this voice belongs to Tom McKeon, who also voiced Charlie the Mouse from La Well,
2: what do you know? I think last
1: time I said McCohen, but I'm pretty sure it's McKeon.
2: McKeon. He's got a voice on him.
1: The, especially laugh, when it's
2: coming out of Muriel's <laughs> face. His
1: laugh reminded me of the Headless Caddy. Yeah. When Mr. Wynn laughs. Definitely. But these changes to Muriel, her appearance, her voice, are both nods to how Reagan changes over time, as the possession gets more and more extreme. Her skin becomes pale and cracked and covered in scratches, and her eyes are this otherworldly yellowish green.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And her voice becomes deep and leathery, like someone who's been smoking cigarettes for 50 years.
2: I think what got to me about these scenes when we first see that Muriel is like actually possessed mm-hmm. is the voice change. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the audio all the time and just the sound of it and how that sticks with us so much, even if we don't necessarily realize it. But when I heard the voice of the demon, yeah, it, I, my whole body remembered this, uh, this episode because it was so jarring to me that sweet Muriel would sound like that. And that's how, that's how a lot of demon possession movies, yeah. you know, that that's a, a trope that they rely on. And I think um, this
1: trope comes from the infield poltergeist because they had audio recordings of the the girl, Janet, mm-hmm. who was supposedly possessed by Bill, who claimed to be possessed. She speaks in that kind of a deep growling voice in those audio recordings. I mean,
2: I can tell you for sure it's the voice that I always imagined when I read the Bible stories. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And not only that, but Muriel just sitting up in bed is another visual parallel. Like when I think of The Exorcist, mm-hmm. I see Reagan just sitting in bed.
2: Sitting in bed. It's just
1: part of that movie.
2: Because she was ill, right? She was being either detained or kept there to be treated.
1: Yeah, she's ill. And so she's, you know, told to stay in bed. She's in
2: her sickbed. And
1: then once she starts harming herself, Mm -hmm. they tie her down. Right. And laughing hysterically, Muriel's head spins completely around Mm -hmm. and alarmingly pops right off.
0: Oh, can one of you boys give me a hand?
1: I guess she should have been wearing a green ribbon.
2: I wrote that too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, if where's you would? a green ribbon when you need it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good stuff. Man, calling it back early, that's pretty dark. <laughs> and yeah, her head lands on the floor, uh, leaving a headless Muriel's body sitting up Ugh. in bed. Speaking of the doulahan Yeah. Again, this is a nod to one of the most famous scenes in The Exorcist. When, you guessed it, Reagan's head spins completely, completely around. around like she's a damn owl. Yeah. How did they do it? More practical effects. They built a life-size animatronic latex dummy version of the possessed Reagan with a face so realistic it could move mm. like it was speaking. Ugh. And a tube was later added to simulate the breathing effect. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine being in the room with that thing? No. How do you I not assume want it's going to attack I mean, I can't you. imagine
2: it, but I don't want to. I will tell you anything animatronic as much as i might love it in some of the disney attractions so anything scary. animatronic is very off-putting especially if you're you know interacting with it alone or you're by yourself like i worked at the carousel of progress there are some animatronics oh my god there. i um, can
1: i bet you there are some scary stories oh
2: there are many many I um, hear but all it's of it's them. it's the uncanny valley at the heart of it is what Gets to us about things like that. And if it had to be realistic enough to emulate Reagan in the movie, then, you know, it was really close. It's like the uh, wax museums that are popular now. Oh, yeah. Been to a few Mm -hmm. of those.
1: What's the guy's name in Carousel of Progress? The main guy, the narrator?
2: The dad, John.
1: Can you imagine if you're just like late at night, cleaning up, you know, closing down? And he just looks over in the shadows and goes, "What's cooking, hot stuff?" (laughs) Just like (laughs) pulls like a like a Chucky the doll, like child's play.
2: Jesus, can you imagine? No, I can't. I don't want to. That's horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Oh my god! Shaking baby. I love the ride. I love the song. I'm a Carousel of Progress fan, hardcore. But I wouldn't be if that happened. I'll tell you (laughs) that much.
1: Give us a twirl, just, darling. Y-
2: yeah, you see his head turn. Oh. <laughs> just yeah,
1: the slow, the the, the <laughs> twisting of yeah, the plastic tick, against
2: tick, the- <laughs> tick tick tick
1: tick. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! Mm. So Eustace and Courage are scared silly at this whole thing, and I don't blame them. No, nope. but I love how it just cuts to midnight. Mm-hmm. It's hours later, and you know these guys have just been sitting around wondering what to do about the thing
2: upstairs. Scott Mario, like, what do you do? What do you do?
0: Saying mattress gave her nightmares. Trying, he's just to, trying to, to justify it. it.
2: Yeah. Trying to rationalize. He's still a little bit in denial about it, as I think we all probably would have to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives him a little bit more humanity than he normally has in these episodes. You're not wrong. And then, as they're conspiring together on how do we save Muriel, he's he's trying to almost reassure courage by saying that the mattress gave her nightmares. You know.
1: I think he's trying to convince himself. I think he's just scared. That too. I think he's just scared. Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, he's he's just terrified. But he he. He needs the situation to be manageable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we all do this to a degree, even with lesser uh, <laughs> lesser spooks in our lives.
1: And the whole time, the demon's voice can be heard making these guttural groaning sounds up in the bedroom, mm-hmm. just like Reagan in the movie. Mm-hmm. They're outside just like having conversations and she's just like... <laughs> up in the room. And it's like I hate it. can we get some peace and quiet
2: shut up I'm trying to have a conversation I was <laughs> supposed to help plan <laughs> out how to help you if you're making so much racket I was supposed to drink
1: this scotch in peace <laughs> Having just watched the movie I'm very impressed by how this episode embodies the whole atmosphere of the house Mm -hmm. in the movie like the stark colors the long shadows the eerie stillness of the quiet hours Mm -hmm. you just wonder what's going to happen next because literally apparently anything could happen
2: nowhere is good at that nowhere feels like that anyway so Mm -hmm. as soon as you kind of know where your head needs to be like if if it's referencing a movie like that it's very easy to get there
1: and when courage goes up to see her again the room isn't just neon green but now it's icy cold. Another reference. Reagan's room after the possession was an especially tricky location to shoot in. The whole house was built on a soundstage to specifications, but the room was refrigerated. Whoa. Because the director wanted to be able to see the breath of the actors.
2: It's smart, I can't lie.
1: And that's how it was described in the book. So he wanted to he wanted to bring that to life. Mm-hmm. But stage lights are notoriously hot. Yes. And they would warm the room too much during filming. So they were only able to film in that room for like three minutes at a time. Wow. And they could only complete about five shots in a single day. So the entirety of just the exorcism sequence, that alone took about a month
2: to shoot. That's crazy. Yeah. But it looks it though. You know what I mean? Like It became what it did because of the painstaking effort that they took to make it look that way.
1: <laughs> sure. Tell the Tell the studio and the producers... Uh, that it was worth it when yeah. <laughs> when the budget tripled, literally tripled. Oh, man. And it took them over 200 days to finish production. It's like twice as long as it was supposed to
2: take. I'm sure it paid off in dividends. Oh. So,
1: when they ordered the sequel, I think that was proof that mm-hmm. they had made all their money back and then some. Yeah. But they also changed the color scheme of Reagan's room to account for the possession. They removed all the color, just gray walls. Beige sheets and black robes for the priests, mm-hmm. and I love that Dilworth just went the complete opposite mm-hmm. with the color it was neon. Yeah, he just went bright green. <laughs> yeah,
2: but also like it's a possession in nowhere. You know what I mean? Like it's a possession in nowhere in 1999, so it has to feel different.
1: Probably made possible out of you know radiation, right? <laughs> and this is also the popular scene where the possessed Muriel entices Courage to approach closer, mm-hmm. closer, closer.
0: It would be lovely if I could have a cup of
2: tea. <laughs> I remember the cup of tea. I remember the I cup remember of remember tea. that too. What have you done with Muriel? She's in here with us.
1: In The Exorcist. Gag. When Father Karras asked the demon, where's
2: Regan? The
1: demon says, in here with us. Oh, I wish I could do the smoker's I voice. I hate it but so I
2: can't. much. I literally am getting goosebumps. It's just the us. It's the pluralistic growl. Mm-hmm. The idea of the legion. Yeah, the we and the greater like evil powers or whatever behind what's happening. Seeing that happen to Muriel was very, very difficult for me. <laughs> no, because she's like a kid. looking at your grandma or your and own mom. We've seen bad things happen to them already, right? Like we've seen bad things happen, but but seeing her. Or hearing her, her, quote unquote, rather, in this moment was something that stuck with me from the whole series as being Mm -hmm. really hard to watch as a kid.
1: Momentarily, Muriel slips to the surface and begs Courage to help her. Courage help
0: me! Whoops. (laughs) That one slipped out.
2: Pretty dark. Pretty dark. Yeah, that moment is rough to watch as well because you do see her pleading Mm -hmm. from within. The demon, basically.
1: And this comes from another harrowing moment in The Exorcist when it's revealed that Reagan is trapped inside her own body Mm -hmm. and trying to communicate with the outside world. The words, help me, are scratched into her torso, Mm -hmm. but seemingly from underneath so that the letters bulge outward.
2: Sick. It's so gross. And
1: this was done by creating a latex abdomen for Linda Blair to wear. So they scratch the letters into the latex and then heated them so that they would disappear. Mm-hmm. They shot this and then reversed it in the edit so that it looks like the letters appear versus disappear.
2: In the skin. Yeah. Wow.
1: By coming to the surface of her stomach.
2: Very smart.
1: It's pretty dang cool, but also pretty dang dark for a children's cartoon in dark. the 90s.
2: Yeah, we didn't get the Help Me, thankfully, but we got that in Lonely Ghost.
1: We sure did. From yeah, Are You the, the Dark? Written backwards, yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: These horror tropes were alive and well in the 90s.
1: And we're going to see a little bit more of that in our next episode. Sure Next time. That's a little bit of teaser. If you guys know what we're talking about, go ahead and guess.
2: Mm -hmm. I bet
1: you don't know. I bet you don't know. (laughs) If you do guess, though, we'll send you a free pen. Sure. From our new merch. (laughs) Then, to add a bit of much-needed levity, courage and the demon engage. In a thumb war.
2: Of course they thumb wrestle. Which
1: Courage sadly loses.
2: But this is brought back to the child's mind, right? Like, how do children solve disputes? Well, they thumb wrestle, or they arm wrestle, (laughs) or they play rock, paper, scissors. Best two out of three. I feel like that's the levity and also the age appropriateness uh, coming back. One, two,
0: three, gotcha! You lose!
1: (laughs) So what's a dog to do? Courage consults the computer.
0: Exorcist. Exactly! An exorcist! Instructions for your basic exorcism. Computer
1: prints out the instructions for your basic exorcism. Good luck. Which courage hands to useless.
0: To perform an exorcism,
2: put on a flowing garment.
1: Encourage hands on one of Muriel's <laughs> nightgowns and nightcaps.
2: Because that's necessary. Which she then puts on. Incantation to exorcise demon. What? Hullabaloo, Hullabaloo and howdy, and howdy do. do.
1: Musty must prawns and bye and, and hippity boo. Kick him in, dish <laughs> in the dishpan.
0: Kick him in the dishpan.
1: And I don't have to tell you guys. Eustace wearing a nightgown and reciting nonsense is literally just making fun of how priests wear long black garments (laughs) and recite certain prayers, Mm -hmm. especially during exorcisms such as the Lord's Prayer, Hail Mary, and the Athanasian Creed. All important things for driving out demons, especially the nightgown. And when Eustace tries and fails Howie to deliver the incantation, the demon heckles him,
2: <laughs> which I found I found genuinely funny. <laughs> Me too. I laughed. Timmy Buck too.
0: Call that an incantation.
1: <laughs> but here we get two more references to The Exorcist. When Reagan appears to have a much longer tongue than she should
2: Mm-mm. and
1: wags it around. Yep.
2: I hated it. I hated it then. I hate it now. And
1: also... <laughs> and also projectile vomits onto Father Karras.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Likewise, the possessed Muriel has an enormous purple tongue uh, (laughs) that she uses to lick Eustace in the face and then spews him with green ectoplasmic vomit.
2: Yep, neon green.
1: But the taste buds on the tongue are what got me. It's the, like, ripples in it.
2: (laughs) I hated the tongue thing (laughs) and the puke. I understand the references, but oh man, I hated it (laughs) as a kid. I couldn't think of anything more gross than that.
1: I know. And of all the things they got away with, they didn't actually show the vomit leave her mouth.
2: That's true. Yeah.
1: They can show her head, spin around and pop off, but they can't show the vomit leaving her mouth. Mm -hmm. That was crossing a line.
2: Somehow I I agree. Somehow I feel like it is. I mean,
1: I guess I do too. Like, <laughs> I guess I do too. Like, you're I not going to see tell some. Tell you
2: exactly why. As a kid, I... you're not going
1: to see someone's head pop off, but I guess you'll see someone throw up. Right. I don't.
2: Yeah, it's it again. It's, it's more realistic. Where it's maybe too close. It's too real.
1: Now, its courage is turned to attempt the incantation, wearing another nightgown he previously buried out in the yard. He stands before the demon and performs his own little doggy version of the
0: exorcism.
1: Which surprisingly works. Yeah.
2: The demon leaves Muriel's
1: body just as Eustace returns in a
2: hazmat suit, I think. I mean, hey, if I saw a puke like that, I'd also wear a hazmat suit, not
1: me. <laughs> me too. And a renewed confidence that he can successfully recite the incantation this
2: time. I like how they turned it into like a theatrical performance that Eustace was trying to give. And then yes. like you said, the heckling. <laughs> yeah. And then I also like that we see Courage give the same incantation in his dog Way and this also goes to show that he can't really apparently speak English.
1: Yeah. When he's actually doing something important. You know,
2: if, if other characters are meant to hear him, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like English. It sounds like Scooby-Doo.
1: But it's also, it also shows kids that as long as you try your hardest to do the thing you need to do, you can still succeed even if you're not perfect.
2: Yeah. Very true.
1: Which is wonderful.
2: <laughs> what a great message this episode. In the, right. <laughs> Right in the middle of this
1: totally inappropriate spoof of The Exorcist. You
2: can do anything you put your mind to. (laughs)
1: Uh, I will go ahead and say like I read that certain moments of this episode were cut in reruns. Mm. They did edit this episode to limit the amount of screen time they gave Possessed Muriel.
2: I understand why they would have to, but I can tell you with certainty that baby Kalen saw the whole thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I did too.
2: <laughs> it was too late for us, but maybe it saved some other kids.
1: Yeah, I feel like I saw a lot of new Courage episodes. Yeah, me too. I also found it interesting here that Eustace is so, he's so completely unable to see beyond his own embarrassment from his botched like audition, right? Mm-hmm. His stage performance. And his need to redeem himself mm-hmm. he doesn't even notice that muriel is no longer green right. and evil he just comes in all like
2: i'm gonna fix i'm this. prepared and i'm gonna do it
1: and this is the moment that eustace becomes useful because the demon enters his body mm-hmm. and weirdly apparently feeds off of his own evil tendencies because whereas possessed muriel was rather docile yeah. and jovial all things considered Let's
2: share a cup of tea right
1: Possessed Eustace seems quite aggressive. Yeah. He climbs up on the bed. He's about to attack Muriel. And luckily, Courage, you know, distracts him with a chomp on the butt, mm-hmm. giving Muriel ample time to give him the old tried-and-true crack across the head with her rolling pin of doom.
2: Rolling pin of doom to the rescue.
1: Every time. But as I said earlier, the spirit entering Eustace is the last reference to the exorcist, which is the moment where Father Karis Begs the demon to leave Regan and enter him instead.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And just in case we have listeners who haven't seen the film, but now want to, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what happens next.
2: You've just heard an hour trailer for The Exorcist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not a paid ad. With Eustace still possessed, rolled up in the mattress, and bound in chains.
2: Also... What's up with Mario having chains under her bed?
1: <laughs> hey, you don't know what they do.
2: Clearly, I don't. You don't know how
1: they shake things up in the middle of nowhere?
2: I really don't. It
1: gets boring out there. <laughs> not how to do.
2: You gotta do something. We're not satisfied at all. Take your special mattress back.
1: So the rat and the weasel
2: show up mm-hmm. at like Shlep 3 a.m. all the way back to the house at 3 in the morning, which is great customer service. Fantastic. Honestly. I
1: mean, five stars, honestly. <laughs> and they pick it up and they take it away, Eustace and all.
2: Which is fine by me and by Courage. Just
1: giving them up to the uh, <laughs> devices of the episode. One more time. We
2: don't need no stinking mattress. We're going <laughs> to curl up on the couch, which is what I've been doing with my cats lately.
1: Yep. And the night ends just like that for Muriel and Courage, the way many of ours do now. Mm-hmm. On the couch with our animals, watching something on the TV. Glow TV, yep. Just happy there aren't any evil spirits in our houses that we know of. <laughs>
2: I do like that they brought up the use of an incantation. You know, we've talked about incantations in several of our episodes now. Yeah. And the the lore and history and idea behind an incantation I think is really interesting and I think it's not the last time we're going to see something like that. For sure not. Um, oh no. Most likely not even the last time during Courage.
1: <laughs> you know what time it is? Scareometer. <laughs> <Me> Thank <too. laughs> you.
2: Yeah, Scareometer time.
1: I'm going to go and say I genuinely believe this is the scariest episode for me. Yeah. Ten out of ten.
2: Whoa. Ten. Ten. Out of
1: ten. I was so scared of demons yeah. when I was a kid.
2: That's fair. That's very fair. I so gave it scary. a nine because I I feel like I feel like yes the realism with paralleling our specific childhoods mm-hmm. made it very like realistically scary for us. Yeah. And having not seen The Exorcist at the time, this was the closest I got to that. So, you know, it, 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 uh, checked that box of seeing the realism of demon possession in, in front of me. Right. And so, yeah, I I gave it a nine because I feel like my body remembered it (laughs) so well (laughs) and it couldn't forget.
1: That's what she said.
2: The body keeps the score as they say.
1: I hadn't seen the exorcist, but I knew of it. I had seen the visuals because like I said, I grew up watching a lot of scary things on TV as a... As a kid during the summers. And so you saw a lot of promos for other scary movies while watching, like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and like Child's Play.
0: Yeah. So
1: you would see, ooh, like tonight at 10 o'clock, The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. And I was always too scared to watch that one. Sure. But I watched the others during the day.
2: Yeah. I probably would have seen trailers.
1: I knew the visual reference when I saw this episode. I was familiar with the possessed person in the bed.
2: Honestly, for me, I don't know which came first. I don't know if I saw this Mm -hmm. first or I became familiar with it, with The Exorcist first. It's
1: hard to say. It was so long ago. Yeah. Um, I just remember looking at other things, like specifically being at my cousin's church for something, some event. He was playing music and me and my sister found a magazine in the hallway and on the cover was just a normal looking girl. But we kept laughing about how she looked like the possessed girl in the Exorcist. Oh wow. <laughs> we said we were just so mean about it. Um <laughs> We but were just so mean.
2: It proves that you had that knowledge in your little But that that proves,
1: yes, yes, yeah. we we what what she looked like. That's wild. So we'd So we'd you know, we you seen we'd of pictures. Known of it. Sure. We knew all about
2: that. Connecting the dots for me like I said I don't necessarily know which came first or if when I watched this I immediately said the exorcist the way that I did when I watched it as an adult mm-hmm. um but my uncle having that you know affinity for horror films and and the like I do remember him quoting the movie pretty frequently yeah um in different i i can't even remember all of the quotes but when he would quote it i somehow did know as a young child that it was from the exorcist the power (laughs) of christ compels you
1: yeah that's a big one Mm -hmm.
2: all those sorts of things (laughs) and so i think he exposed me to it before i ever laid eyes on it visually Mm -hmm. so i think the dots all connected for me later but it was all just as scary at every juncture. <laughs> it's so scary.
1: It's such a scary movie.
2: Christian was texting me, y'all. He was saying he was scared silly from the exorcist. And I I did wish that I had to No, I to said watch it I
1: was scaring myself silly <laughs> based off of what sure. I'd seen.
2: Yeah, that's probably a good distinction. <laughs>
1: it was more my imagination. But yeah.
2: I love that we just hit so high on the scarometer. This is the first time. I know.
1: I think I, think. I gave Katz Motel a nine. I think. Okay.
2: I was up there for that. I don't even recall. But yeah. Ten out of ten. Sorry, listener. If you're keeping score at your house. They are. You let us know what we score.
1: They are. And <laughs> on that note, let's head on over to Freaky Fred. Speaking of getting freaky, let's go get freaky with Fred.
2: Speaking of getting freaky.
1: Speaky of freaky. <laughs> let's get freaky deaky. I am so ready to yeah. get freaky with Fred. <laughs> this one's going to get weird.
2: <laughs> this does. one, I mean, it can't help but get weird. It is weird in its existence. Oh, no. This is an episode that is known far and wide uh, as courage episodes. It's among the most popular and it's also among the most uncomfortable.
1: It's freakiness touches all of us.
2: But we're here together, you know, all of us, me and you, all of us listeners. Uh, If this one did spook you as a kid, you're not alone. And uh, we're going to hold your hand all the way through, but not in a creepy way, you know?
1: Surviving this episode is a real close shave, if you know what I mean. Hey. The closest <laughs> shave you've ever I've had. been
2: watching, I've been rewatching watching Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. They do play that game, the if you know what I mean, game and the entendres. <laughs> and I think about it a lot as we record. It's just funny. Yeah. So many things. And especially, I think, in this episode, so many <laughs> things could become... Double entendres. Woo. Entendres that are doubled, as Barbie would say.
1: Well, guys, this is episode 4B. 4B or not 4B, let's get into it.
2: <laughs> freaky Fred.
1: My summary of this episode, because it wasn't given one anywhere online that I could find.
2: Weird. Surprising.
1: Muriel's nephew, Fred, a freaky barber, comes to visit. When Courage winds up locked in the bathroom with Fred, <sighs> Fred can't help but shave Courage.
2: Mm i didn't remember that it was Mario's nephew like that wasn't something that stuck Mm -hmm. in my head i was like oh weird that's right it's her nephew like what kind of family did you come from mario
1: genetically modified
2: she had to grow up and and live like this because Mm -hmm. it was just all around her the evil
1: this episode was written by david stephen cohen our friend our buddy yeah, and bill marsili
2: got a co-writer on this one
1: directed by john dilworth
2: none other than
1: this episode begins the same way it ends with Fred en route between the bag farm and nowhere, and somewhere else. Fred journeys with his signature grin plastered across his face, and he communicates with us, the audience, seemingly telepathically, through verse, reciting a surprisingly cogent and self-aware description of the circumstances at hand, acting as our narrator and guide, and yet an unreliable narrator and an untrustworthy guide as he only gives us just enough information to draw us in with his sweet turns of phrase and melodic cadence, yet always taking an abrupt turn toward the pretty dark at the end of each stanza, leaving us with a single word to play over and over and over again in our innocent child minds. Naughty.
2: <laughs> Hello, new friend. My name is Fred. The words you hear are in my head. I say, I said,
1: my name is Fred. And I've been very naughty. naughty.
2: Naughty.
1: And this is mostly how Fred communicates throughout the entire episode. Mostly speaking in verse and reminding us of just how naughty he is.
2: I will say that having the villain speak in verse mm-hmm. endears me to them Yep, because it's Familiar, you know, but it's also like,
1: it's Dr. Seuss, you know,
2: Dr. Seuss, right? It's comforting. It's that childhood nursery rhyme Mm -hmm. idea. And having the villain speak in verse even to us from his thoughts, as sinister as he looks and is, I still find myself appreciating Fred. Because of the way that he's thinking,
1: right? No, it's it's very poetic. I mean, it's very beautiful. His outlook on things,
2: yeah, and as you said, his weirdly
1: positive, like yeah, perspective.
2: Exactly. It's, it's so I didn't remember it that way, but it is that it's way. Weird. And it's kind of like you said, he's very self aware. Mm-hmm. He 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 has this self awareness that makes me trust him a little bit more than I should, mm-hmm. because he is aware of what's happening. He has that that uh, internal narrative where he's cognizant of what he's doing and what he is. And that is cool. <laughs>
1: he's almost not delusional. Like he's not right. delusional because he's exactly. aware of what there he's doing. There are a lot of
2: villains that are very, very delusional in their thinking. And they, they're scary because they try to suck you into their way of thinking. They try
1: to justify it, but he's not interested in justification. No, not at all. He just tells you what he's doing. Exactly. And owns it. Like, this exactly. is what I do. There's
2: a simplicity to it that's actually nice.
1: <laughs> it's so refreshing, you know?
2: It's just... <laughs> why, you know? When your villains just tell you what they're doing.
1: They say it's hard to make friends in your 30s, but like, if we could all just meet a Fred. Like, I mean...
2: I wouldn't go that far. With, with
1: friends like these. Oh,
2: with friends like these. If
1: you could just meet a nice boy, you know?
2: Like Fred. <laughs> like Fred. Take
1: Fred, for example.
2: Man, I... I just like the verse. That's all. I'm a big fan of rhyme. <laughs> She's like,
1: all I'm saying is the verse is nice. All I'm, not I'm saying, saying <laughs> is the
2: verse is nice. I don't have any particular need to be shaved in any way by anyone else, but that's, we'll get there.
1: <laughs> not yet. Um, while we're on subject, uh, I didn't know where to put this in my notes, but because it has such a Dr. Seuss feel. Do you know Edward Gorey, the author and artist, the the illustrator?
2: The name is familiar. Why do I know the name? I have
1: books in my house that are Edward Gorey books. Okay. They're really dark. Like Mm -hmm. one I have is an alphabet, and every letter is the name of a of a kid of a child. Yeah. Who dies in a tragic way?
2: Okay. But it's that's ringing lots of bells. I'll show it to you next time you're over. Absolutely, yeah. But
1: it's very tongue in cheek and it's very humorous, but it's very macabre, dark humor. All of his work is like that. They're usually very depressing, sad, death-oriented stories, right. but with like a Dr. Seuss sort of verse twist on like the story. Yeah. So that's why I like it because okay. I grew up with Tim Burton and I love stuff like that. Sure. I love dark humor.
2: I had the Grinch in my head as well. Kind I grew up watching Grinch, the yeah. original Grinch, which is inverse. And it's not the Grinch's thoughts, but it's that narrator that's telling mm-hmm. you how things are going. So again, it just... It feels comforting to me. And yeah. perhaps this is the false sense of security that we mentioned before. It
1: meets us where we're at. Yeah. It says you're used to these things. Mm-hmm. You're used to stories being repetitive. It's a
2: convention we know.
1: Inverse mm-hmm. and like have these nice cadences and people have been reading to you your whole life. Yes. You're used to this kind of thing yes. because you're eight years old. Right. It lures you in.
2: It's a convention that you know, and we're going to take it and turn it on its head a little bit. Yeah, which is twisted in its own way. Bravo, honestly.
1: It's well done, honestly. <laughs> it just it is,
2: and it's so David Seaman Cohen. Like he's very mm-hmm. much a right. a rhyme driven person. He he does mm-hmm. music, and and I can I can see David's influence in that too, which I think is it's just really cool to have a mark on something like that. Absolutely, to have a voice that that carries through, even if it is a rather freaky character,
1: Fred is Muriel's nephew, and she's very excited to have him come visit.
2: I can't wait for that wee lad, Fred, to arrive.
1: Eustace, knowing Fred is a straight-up freaky dude, is not looking forward to spending time with him.
2: For once, I don't blame Eustace. <laughs>
1: Finally, Eustace has an opinion we can all agree on. Yeah. <laughs> Except Muriel, who sees no evil, of course. hmm Eustace is the one who warns Courage, and us, if we needed it, of just how freaky Fred is.
0: A freak's a barber. A freaky barber with his own freaky barber shop where freaky things happen. Freaky barber
1: things! Not that it does mean any good, no. because Eustace is the reason Courage winds up locked in the bathroom with Fred, for the remainder of the episode. Mm -hmm. And they can't get out until Eustace returns from the hardware store with the right tool to fix the lock and open the door.
2: Engineered by Eustace to be a very, very bad time for Courage indeed.
1: I will say I found it really funny, though, after Eustace pushes Courage into the bathroom and slams the door, Muriel comes up the stairs.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I
0: heard the door slam. The door slammed.
2: Yeah, he says, yeah. Before we even get there, though, there is a moment, as we have with many of our Courage episodes, where before the evil even finds him, Mm -hmm. right, before the villain thing comes to the farmhouse... Uh, the doorbell does ring, and before Courage even knows what's on the other side of the door, he imagines the lineup yes. of just freaky yes. people that could possibly be on their Worst way case in.
1: scenarios, yeah.
2: Always the worst case scenario. He's got a mummy. Yeah.
1: There's a giant bug and like a Frankenstein monster. Isn't
2: there a mime? It's
1: a mime. Yeah. With uh, overly enlarged feet and hands. Yeah. That's the scariest part of the mime, especially how tall he is. It's
2: like the Pokemon.
1: Yeah. Who? You're right. <laughs> And I kind of wonder, like, the time. I wonder like how many of those or versions of those we actually would see. Mm-hmm. Because there's that whole conspiracy that like courage is imagining everything. Sure. I don't I don't remember if we see any of those It would
2: make sense if we do. It would not surprise me. I just don't recall. So we'll have to keep tabs on that I feel as we like go. The
1: mime was something. Yeah. But I don't
2: know. We'll definitely have to keep tabs on that. We're gonna have listeners like, Don't you remember? <laughs> well no. We don't, but we will. We no, will. Very I'm soon. watching
1: Courage as we cover it. Me too. Yeah, I'm you not know?
2: skipping ahead for this one. I'm I'm being very diligent about Watching it for the episode.
1: I'ma stand for this. I'm here to experience it. (laughs) Fred may be freaky as, (laughs) but Eustace is such an insufferable asshole in this episode because he has no intention of going to get the part or tool or whatever he needs quickly by any means at all. Mm -mm. Despite Muriel's constant reminders to the boys locked in the bathroom that Eustace will be home soon. Don't
0: worry, boys. Eustace should
2: we have by
1: now we see him out wasting precious time mm-hmm. like reading the newspaper in his truck <laughs> parked on the side of the road
2: which that's a pretty smart way to avoid a social interaction at your house <laughs> that you're not interested in to be honest
1: <laughs> yes you're <a> significant <laughs> other's uh family yes get me out of the house yeah and you're
2: just like no. let me
1: go sunbathe <laughs> uh, in a weird makeshift beach in the middle of nowhere that doesn't exist
2: yeah we see him sleeping through Oppenheimer in the movie theater yeah <laughs> Yep, sure is. Come on, Eustace. It's an instant classic. The Nolan film. That's, he didn't intend for you to see it from behind your eyelids. <laughs>
1: but this whole time, while Eustace is out and Muriel is watching TV, poor Courage is being tormented by Fred in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're going to center our focus tonight, in the bathroom, with Courage and Fred.
2: There's nowhere else you'd rather be, right, listener? <laughs>
1: we're going to go to the bathroom together.
2: I do hate that it happened in a bathroom. This <laughs> is the get- second time Courage has had a <laughs> yes. freaky situation in the bathroom in as many episodes.
1: When people think of Courage the Cowardly Dog's villains, they think of King Ramses, evil poultry, mad scientists, gross rodents, cats, or maybe even the bugle monster. Yep. I always think of Fred. Mm-hmm. Anytime it came up, I'd always remember the freaky-looking barber who force-feeds Courage some pancakes <laughs> and shaves them into his mouth. Yes. And it never doesn't bother me.
2: Never. I watched it twice Ugh. for this reason, and Ugh. I had I had so many more memories from this episode.
1: And I can't say for certain, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of my own sense of stranger danger came from Courage being locked in the bathroom with Fred. hmm Have I ever told you how I got locked in multiple bathrooms when I was a kid? No. Not with other people. Thank God. But I was locked in the bathroom at my neighbor's house. No. (laughs) I was little. I was small. Yeah. But there was another time when we were on vacation in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And I went to the bathroom. They let me go alone for God knows what reason at like seven years old. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get out of the bathroom. I couldn't get the lock to unlock.
2: So scary. So
1: I've been here, done this. But luckily... (laughs) not with fred that's the key the best part about fred is he's voiced by paul shuffler yeah <laughs> of cats and the quack fame yes fred's theme the super spooky yeah eerie voices singing la, 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 you got it you nailed it uh when we talked to jody in our hangout he said this was inspired by the chipmunk's christmas song <laughs> don't actually know what that's called I mean, it I, might be called Chipmunks Christmas. Oh, Christmas, yeah, Christmas. It's, it's a Christmas times, carol. Like, it's yeah. an actual Christmas no, no, carol no, no. thing. No, but no, they, no, no.
2: if you didn't know, listener or Christian Alvin and the Chipmunks have a whole album of Christmas carols. And that's what my mom loves to listen to when we would decorate our Christmas tree at my house. Oh, my family
1: does NSYNC, up. the Christmas album.
2: Nice. Mm-hmm. I would. I would. I think I might prefer that. I think I knew
1: that. I really only know that one song.
2: They had a whole album. Let me tell you.
1: That's enough. I don't need anything else. I could see your mom just really digging that
2: album. She loves herself. Chipmunk's Christmas. She
1: pours herself a nog and eggnog. Mm. Kicks back to some chipmunks. I don't
2: know that she even drinks eggnog, but she a hot chocolate. We would do hot chocolate and sure. chipmunk it. Chipmunk it. You know.
1: We'll chipmunk it.
2: <laughs> At least we didn't hamster it. Like, Fred. Hey.
1: But the good things stop there. As we've said over and over and over, Fred is freaky. And
2: we're going to keep saying it.
1: He is genuinely frightening. hmm From the very first moment on the bus, when he's just a grinning shadow. I mean, holy shit. hmm To when he's sitting silently in the bag's living room, Mm -hmm. smiling absently.
2: The absent smile.
1: And when he glances over at Courage on the stairs. Yep. That is one of the eeriest things accomplished on this show.
2: Nothing in the shot moves but his eyeballs.
1: But his eyeballs. It's so subtle, Mm -hmm. but so specific. And the sound effect.
2: (gasps) Yeah. God.
1: His whole (laughs) demeanor is disturbing too. Mostly how quiet and gentle he seems to be until no one is looking. But also, how he's never not smiling.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And he doesn't always show his teeth, but when he does, he seems to have far too many of them.
2: Mm. I'm just grunting all through this episode. (laughs)
1: That's fine. (laughs) In discomfort. (laughs) I'll just say... He doesn't look unlike Jimmy Savile.
2: He doesn't look unlike Count Olaf. Hey, that's true too. I like how whenever he arrives and Muriel's telling Eustace, like, don't be rude, come say hi, and makes him come sit on the couch next to him. Eustace says, hiya. And my immediate thought was, "Hiya!" that's weirdly cheerful for Eustace. And then into the newspaper (laughs) that he picks up, he says, freak. (laughs) Freak. I was like, oh, okay. There it is. Freak. Hiya, freak.
1: Fred is a freak.
0: Ah, Fred, my dear nephew. What brings you to our cozy corner of the world? Holiday.
1: And not just a freak, but a barber who seems to have escaped from a literal home for freaky barbers. Mm -hmm. Like a halfway house or some kind of inpatient facility.
2: Inpatient facility, it seems, because Mm -hmm. apparently this is an epidemic in nowhere. (laughs) Yes.
1: And we know this because he wears a wristband, like a bracelet, uh, with a phone number on it. And later, when the orderlies show up to take Fred back, they bind him in a Mm straitjacket like he's Hannibal Lecter. They're
2: coming to take me away.
1: (laughs) 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 All of which implies, like you just said. That not only is there a whole demographic of mentally ill people in this universe that suffer from a subcategory of obsessive compulsive disorder specifically tied to shaving other people, (laughs) but all of these freaky barbers are considered dangers to society.
2: Right. (laughs) It's insane. I'm sure he knows Sweeney Todd, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They're buddies at the inpatient facility.
1: Dude, and speaking of... We wouldn't be doing our podcast justice if we didn't at least mention Sweeney Todd. Sure. Another deranged barber, also known as the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. The Demon Barber of Fleet They're both barbers. Street. They're both pretty dark in their own weird way. The difference being that Mr. Todd had a habit of cutting throats. And Fred merely has a habit of shaving people bald.
2: Merely. That's all. And
1: yet they're both considered criminally insane. I know Mr. Todd best by the 2007 Tim Burton film starring Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter, based on the 1979 Stephen Sondheim musical of the same name, based on the 1970 play written by Christopher Bond. Mm -hmm. Sweeney Todd was a very popular character in the Victorian era, having appeared in a Penny Dreadful titled The String of Pearls, which was published serially... In a weekly magazine during the winter of eighteen forty-six to eighteen forty-seven, coincidentally, the same winter the Irish potato famine was at its worst. <laughs> you would
2: you are would you having reference fun at the, the party? <laughs> Can
1: I get you a drink? Have you heard about the Irish potato famine? Is that
2: vodka? Vodka is derivative from potatoes. That's made
1: from potatoes. Have you heard
2: about the Irish potato famine?
1: Did you realize it was just a political conflict?
2: I uh I need to go. My friends are over there.
1: How many ways do you like potatoes? <laughs> I
2: with
0: tender courage, and all his fur is very fred, which I say did encourage me to be quite naughty. Courage
1: your hair. Here are Fred's crimes as we come to know them through verse. Mm -hmm. As he's chasing courage around the bathroom and explaining to us in great detail. What he's done to these other people. Yeah. Shaving his pet gerbil. Shaving his girlfriend's head. Shaving a cowboy's entire body, it yeah. seems. <laughs> yeah. And Fred tells us these things as he's doing the same thing to Courage,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not as an apology or an excuse, like we've said. Simply
2: as information.
1: He seemingly relishes the details. Mm-hmm. He just likes remembering what he's done. Yep. Like how villains always tell you what they did and like how mm-hmm. they did it. It's
2: it's like a the whole episode is almost a villain's monologue. Kind of like yeah. here is what I've done. But if his worst crime is just shaving people, I you know.
1: Well, that's the thing. Um, TV tropes. The villain who's proud of being a villain, they call it card-carrying villain mm-hmm. because they're like, yeah, I'm part of the club, sure.
2: I am this. This is what I am.
1: But they say, sure. yeah, his uh, his status as a villain is debatable.
2: He's freaky, but is he a villain? Is
1: he a villain? We'll get to that.
2: How harm? How harmful is he? And the fact that he's inflicting fear on courage it's is- It's emotional distress. Villainous. I mean, it's emotional distress. I don't think it's okay.
1: It's emotional trauma on some level. We'll get there. So you might be asking yourself, is this hair shaving obsession a real thing? The answer might surprise you. It surprised me.
2: (laughs) I'd love to know.
1: (laughs) Trichotemnomania, Mm. or the obsessive compulsive habit of cutting or shaving the hair, is derived from the Greek words tricks, temnin, and mania. I am certain I'm saying those incorrectly. But these mean, respectively, hair to cut and madness. Oh, Almost literally translating to... Hair cutting madness is not very common, and it usually develops after a stress-related or traumatic event. So it's related to anxiety, because Mm -hmm. obsessive compulsion is typically tied to anxiety. Mm -hmm. But where Fred differs from this is that he doesn't feel compelled to shave his own head. Right. He's got a shock of yellow hair and both Mm -hmm. of his eyebrows, and in certain close-ups, all of his arm hair. Yeah. So he clearly has a version of this haircutting mania, but it's projected outward onto other people.
2: Which is really where the line is.
1: That's the line. He can hardly stop himself from compulsively shaving your head Mm -hmm. against your will, Mm -hmm. even when he knows you have not consented to this. Right. Therefore, technically, Fred is a predator.
2: He's violating someone's consent or their wishes yes. for their own self, which, yeah, is pretty predatory.
1: But what kind of predator is up for debate?
2: A trichotymnomaniac.
1: trichotymnomaniac This is where I want to be as delicate as I can be. And I don't think delicate is a word that anybody would ever use to describe me.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Unless I'm, you know, with the ladies. <laughs> but it does need to be addressed because, one, it wouldn't be that's pretty dark if we didn't. And two, we'd have some pretty disappointed listeners, more than a few, I'd venture to guess.
2: Or confused listeners, perhaps.
1: We talked to David Stephen Cohen in our hangout with him and Jody about writing this episode specifically. Mm -hmm. David said he was mostly thrilled to do it because he got to write Fred's voiceover in verse. Which,
2: yeah, makes such great sense for him as a person.
1: And he himself said that although people have come up to him and asked him if Fred was supposed to be a sexual predator, David says no, Mm -hmm. or at least he wasn't thinking of Fred in that way and definitely did not and would not have intended that himself. Right. But a lot of people worked on this episode from the story development to the writing, to the animation and so on. So it's pretty unclear if anyone, including John Dilworth himself, had any intention of using Fred's compulsive shaving as a metaphor for something more nefarious.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We just don't know. I'll be the first to admit that even if someone did say, that's exactly what we meant, personally, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Wouldn't care. Right. It was just such a huge part of the conversation at that time. Like, we've talked about stranger danger and child predators Mm -hmm. and how heavily... It influenced all the media at this time. It's why we have this podcast. Right. You know?
2: To be clear, you would have a problem with the predatory nature. You would not have a problem with them depicting said predatory nature because it was a large part of the culture.
1: Thank you for clarifying. Yes, I do have <laughs> a problem with predatory nature in any way, but not depicting it in fiction. Right. Especially if it's tasteful, like if it's done in, a, in the right way. I,
2: I have to say, it's all about connotation. Mm-hmm. Right, really, that's where the question comes from. It comes from connotation and subtext, and someone's idea of what they're seeing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The main reason I think that that question comes up, or that that is brought up at all, related to this episode, for one, is his compulsion to do things to other people. Yeah, which yes can be seen in some circles as a sexual thing. Yes. but also the connotation of the word naughty, naughty, and the repetition of the word. Naughty, right? Because I think it, not only is it the writing, because I don't, it, it's it's also the reading. You could say naughty, and it not sound suggestive. Mm-hmm. They weren't concerned with whether or not it sounded suggestive. Clearly, because the reading, I would say, does sound suggestive.
1: And everything we hear, we hear about Santa Claus is, are you naughty or nice? Naughty
2: or nice? Exactly, naughty
1: is in the lexicon.
2: Naughty is a familiar concept, it's a familiar term. It's just that it has different connotations. The older or the more knowledgeable that you might be.
1: I would say, yes. As children, naughty means just misbehaving. Naughty or
2: nice. I'm misbehaving. And And that's exactly where I was going to go with this. Yes, yes. For me, and in the context of Fred and in the context of Courage, the show, naughty in Fred's world, Fred, for better or worse, I don't even know where (laughs) to go with this, listener. I'm just doing my best here.
1: We're just talking. But it
2: feels that Fred is a childlike character. I agree. He is consumed with the idea that he's misbehaving by doing what he's doing. Yes. And we don't know how old Fred is necessarily. Um presumably he's old enough to know better, but I do think that he is obsessed in some way with the idea that he is misbehaving and he's acting against the wishes of someone in authority. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a I'm misbehaving, but he likes it. <laughs> he likes the idea that that's what he's doing. But I do think it stems from, and I mean, you like, we could go into a whole different tangent about where different like fetishes and kinks come from. Sure. But I do think this stems from Fred in his childhood in some way being told over and over, you better not be naughty, like, you better (laughs) behave, you better do what you're told kind of idea. Yeah. And so then as he grows up, I couldn't help. But be naughty like <laughs> it's a it's a different yeah. it's a different light on it when you think of it like that and I'm not saying that it's innocent or that there's innocence here because it is clearly fairly suggestive in the way that it's presented in the episode right but when you look at Fred as a character, it doesn't seem that there's any number one any sexual intent we'll just say that it does not seem no. that that's what Fred is intending no. it, with his actions or even in his own internal narrative right. But for the sake of making children, teens, tweens, whomever is consuming this show in 1999, feel all that much more uncomfortable, the reading is very suggestive. There's just this soup. There's a lot happening at once. It's
1: very complicated,
2: and it's so complicated, it's and complicated. it's really hard to even like separate it out right now. Talking about it because as mm. a kid watching it, it gave me the heebie-jeebies for many many reasons one of which was how suggestive it was
1: it's one of those things yeah you watch it and you don't understand it it's just weird
2: i didn't get it i didn't get it but i did get it you know what i mean like it was very it just makes
1: you uncomfortable yeah
2: i knew yeah. it was naughty yeah. right like I, I knew there was something naughty there that was mm-hmm. something else there i'll just leave it at that that's all that i knew is that there was something else there
1: definitely something wrong and
2: i think if we can kind of just leave it there like not in this discussion, but I'm just saying as a kid, if I could leave it there and just know there's something else that makes me feel really weird about this, mm-hmm. that just made it more scary. It's very, very, very similar to um Hexus in Ferngully. Yeah. Which we have a whole whole episode talking about. Like it's it's just that unknown, like strange sensuality behind what's happening.
1: It's a very romantic. He's romantic about shaving yeah,
2: hair. Right. But
1: romantic. Also doesn't necessarily mean sexual.
2: No, it doesn't. It does not have to. And
1: it's so funny because like even the like words that we have at our disposal to use to talk about it have a sexual connotation. So it's like difficult to like really parse out.
2: Yeah. And as we're like getting used to the cadence of this episode, I think another reason why it gets that sensual like sexual connotation Mm -hmm. is that of course in each stanza he does these triplets of rhymes and then he ends on naughty Naughty. and he does that over and over and over to the point where just like a children's book that you might read like dr seuss you're gonna know what the next line is or should be yeah you
1: anticipate but
2: he subverts that at a certain point and he doesn't say naughty instead he says in a certain mood (laughs) right (laughs) and then he just over the next few stanzas for lack of a better way to put it, he's kind of building up to like a bigger payoff, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that rhythm being broken and built and broken and built also gives it for those, mm, you know, mm-hmm. of age or in the with the knowledge, yeah, sure. A little bit more of a undertone.
1: I definitely don't think Fred himself has any intentions to really harm anyone. Right. It's just that his actions are viewed as as bad in this nowhere universe
0: Right. surround the area cut the power we don't want anyone getting
2: shaved in there because it's like it's not like he's gonna sweeney todd them you know he's not he's just gonna shave the threat is not to their life right but to their hair
1: (laughs) it's to their hair you know i think it's as long as the person has a lot of hair right fred wants to shave it Yes, it just has to do with how much hair you have. Yes, and Courage has hair all over his, you know, little puppy body, and so he's like, "I want that."
2: Yep, I would like to shave. I that. would like
1: to shave you, sir, if you wouldn't mind. You do mind? Come over here anyway. And
2: if let's just say, let's just act that out. Let's not act it out. <laughs> you want to have like if, a dialogue back and forth? <laughs> no, I'm not prepared. Nope, I'm not either. I don't think I ever will be. If Fred were to ask Courage you have lovely hair, may I shave it? And give Courage the opportunity to say, no, thank you, not today, not ever, not interested. And Fred respected that. That's an okay interaction. We've all learned something. That's a
1: fine interaction. We
2: can move on. But of course, it wouldn't be Courage the Cowardly Dog if he was given a choice. Nope. All that being said, something that I did notice that I wanted to make sure and mention when Fred is arriving and he's making Courage uncomfortable just with his existence and his absent smile, as you said. Yes. Muriel is very clear that Courage needs to, you know, show their guest hospitality. Oh, I noticed that too.
0: Courage, come and meet Fred. Show Fred the bathroom, please, Courage.
2: Please. Such a fuss. This rudeness won't do. You know, like she's very much like be the gracious host, despite how you might feel about this person that's come into your home. And I wanted to just hammer this home because I think so many people, so many inner children of our listeners might need to hear this because I know I did just in general. You do not have to be nice to people that make you uncomfortable.
1: Nope. Mm -mm.
2: Because there's probably a reason that they're making you uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and you don't have to be nice about it. You don't have to hug anyone you don't want to. You shouldn't please listener. <laughs> don't
1: hug anyone you don't want to
2: <laughs> well don't make your children do so that's the main um thing. Yeah. that's it's a big thing with our generation i think and we're kind of separating ourselves from that obligatory give them a kiss give them a of hug idea, because not only is it not great from like a infectious disease standpoint oh, yeah. but also from strengthening
1: their immune system an
2: emotional standpoint yeah i no. and if you don't want to show affection to someone you shouldn't have to. Consent is consent regardless of how old you are. Right, correct. And obligation be damned. You can be, you know, hospitable to somebody without going out of your way to make your own self uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you have to just like tell somebody off because like, hey, you're freaky, you're a freaky dude. I don't want you. <laughs> yeah, to You do don't have
1: to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs>
2: you don't have to hurt somebody's, exactly. You don't have to but. hurt somebody's feelings, but you are in control of your autonomy and your body and your, you know, space. And you you don't necessarily
1: mm-hmm.
2: need to go out of your way to. Oblige those that make you uncomfortable. PSA.
1: As a co-host of this podcast and a co-producer of this podcast, hey, by the way, guys, independent podcast. It's just me and Kaylin.
2: That's us. We literally it's just us. have
1: no help whatsoever. It's just us, none. <laughs> but as the only two people, as one of the two people who do all this work, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing my job if I was just to totally go. Yep, yeah, we've co- we've we've cleared it. We've covered it. Fred is a fine person, right? You know, like we can't we can't no. claim that.
2: No, no, I don't. I don't intend to claim that. So
1: at all. I can't say that no one intended this metaphor to exist. Sure, but I also can't say that anyone absolutely did. Right. I just think that it was enough. Of the collective unconscious and it was enough of the conversation at that time that even if no one intended it
2: the predatory
1: Right. Yeah. The predatory nature like looking back at this period of time. We can't help but see the patterns We can't help but see it mm-hmm. as just another example of all the media that was being made right that did have these darker undertones Whether they intended it or not. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's fair or
2: unfair. I think that's fair I think, it, I mean, it's a product of the time. It's something that we talk about very often with the media that we cover. Like the creators of this show were, were absorbing and consuming media themselves, just like right. everyone does. Right. So I, I can see that possibly if some of those connotations or ideas made their way in, mm-hmm. it was all over the news, right? Like,
1: yeah. It was everywhere.
2: It was everywhere. That's
1: why we had Stranger Danger. I mean, that's why it was a thing. That's why
2: we have the offender registry. Like it, mm-hmm. the fact that there was a boom and, and people recognize this, this isn't a societal issue that needed to be realized and dealt with.
1: Same thing with... How we just talked about with the exorcist influencing the satanic panic, because then there was a boom in exorcism movies, Mm -hmm. like uh, demon possession movies. It's just because there were then interviews and movie trailers and all kinds of media that infiltrated then America, if not the world. Mm -hmm. So this is the same thing. There was more media. Thank you, CNN, Ted Turner. Yeah. Making like broadcasting 24 hour news networks about that. Yeah. Child predators. It was just there. It was ever-present.
2: Where Do you know where your children are?
1: Do you know where your children are?
2: Well, Courage is in the bathroom with Fred and Muriel <laughs> <Naryl laughs> yes. and Eustace are fully aware. We know where <laughs> Courage
1: is. He's in the bathroom. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to find a segue. <laughs> Honestly, for the sake of the episode, I get why they're locked in the bathroom, not the bedroom or even just the house The bathroom.
2: Because that's where you shave?
1: Well, maybe. That was one thought I had. But also because the bags don't usually have company come to stay.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I could see Muriel, you know, fussing at Eustace to either fix the lock on the bathroom or install the lock on the bathroom for the guest so that her relative would feel comfortable.
2: Yeah, like they're accommodating you know? the guest. But I do feel like most people feel more comfortable when the door locks from the inside rather than the outside.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know I would. But the thing about a private bathroom, like in a house, not in a, you know, restaurant or whatever, a private bathroom is typically a pretty vulnerable place. Yeah. It's a personal experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I would say so, yeah. A personal experience that if you choose to share with another person is typically very intimate Mm -hmm. or at least comfortable or casual. Right. Again, not necessarily sexual. Just sharing a bathroom is an intimate experience. Is an
2: intimate thing. Yeah, for sure.
1: So I think it checks out for the plot, but I think it also just turns up the cringe factor to 11. Right. To have it be a bathroom.
2: It does. To have that shot where you turn and see Fred sitting on the toilet.
1: (laughs) Even when he's sitting and patting his knee and giving courage the come here gesture with his finger. Yeah. Very suggestive body language. And yet. And yet. He just wants to shave him.
2: Mm -hmm. That seems to be where the compulsion ends. Just the whole
1: thing's super unfortunate. The whole thing's unfair. I don't like it. It makes me unhappy. Um, <laughs>
2: the whole episode. What do you mean? The whole shaving ex- the situation. Shaving it's, sequence. It's unfair to Courage.
1: It's so uncomfortable.
2: It's a bad haircut. And let's be real about it's that. A bad, it's
1: a bad haircut. <laughs> but it's also because he's shaving Courage like little by little, like one yeah. section bit by bit
2: bec- at a time. Because he wants to enjoy it, and that's it's where like the like he's savoring weird it. lines of like a fetish. That's where it all gets really blurry and really dark. Pretty dark, if you will.
1: He's savoring it. He is. And don't even get me started on the damn pancakes. <laughs> the, Force feeding and pancakes. That's I can't the,
2: do I can't with the pancakes. That's yeah. the visual that, I remember most. I have I can't defend Fred any longer. That's the end of defending Fred because <laughs> I had no words when I rewatched it even. No
0: need for Behold, oh, sustenance hungry be will.
2: Oh. Sustenance. Nourishment. Nourishment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that goes way back. You guys don't even know about that shit. That's a joke. That's an inside joke. And
2: okay, we also need to remember at this point in the episode, because I tend to forget it when I'm just watching. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I was saying at the beginning, the rhymes are a lot of what endear me to Fred. And as he told us, those are in his head. (laughs) (laughs) He's not telling these stories and these memories and reminiscing aloud to the people in the room or to Courage. He tells Courage um, at one point that his hair reminds him of the first time he knew just how he felt about hair. He does say that aloud, but like otherwise, yeah, for the most part, I think he just has this whole internal landscape of daydreams and romance and uh, and pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> and the yeah, words so he pleasure. actually says aloud are pretty few and far between. Like also, yeah, the thing about the pancakes. Mm-hmm. We're telling Courage he's not going to shave his tail, mm. and the rest of the That's time, even though like the viewer is seeing the flashbacks. I think we are supposed to assume that he's just doing that absent (laughs) smiley thing, like in person. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, Courage doesn't get that benefit. That's for us. That's
2: pretty creepy to imagine. We
1: get all the rhymes and the poetry, but poor Courage is just left with the creepy smiles.
2: Uh, Yeah,
1: so I know that poor Courage had nowhere to go in that room, but I'll leave us off with one question. Okay. Courage tried to open the door multiple times. He tried to hide in the toilet. He tried to climb down the sink drain
2: mm-hmm. and he
1: even used a cell phone to call the number on Fred's bracelet. Which
2: was ultimately what saved him.
1: But we've seen this little pink dog crash through walls and doors yes. and windows on numerous occasions. So why didn't he do it?
2: That's all I could think. Why didn't he just jump through the wall? Just go, like you have every opportunity. You've done this before. We, I think so that's many also times. something that I thought about as a kid watching this. I was like, he could get out. He could get out. Why doesn't he get out? He needs to get He's out. Done like, it. I just, I wish, you know, yeah, that there was some consistency with the rules of the world because in this case, and it may have just been because the lock was too strong. I don't know how that like precludes you from hmm. going straight through the wood of the door, but I don't know. Yeah, that bugged me too because I was say? like, he just needs to get out. It was too tight. The, the quarters were too tight. <laughs> The space was too small. The claustrophobia was setting in a little bit because there was nowhere to go, seemingly.
1: Fred was too freaky.
2: Fred was just too freaky. The
1: razor uh, was too loud. Yep. The buzz.
2: Yep. Oh, all my sensory issues were just on full alert. I was like, get the The pancakes hell. were too thick. <laughs> and sticky. They
1: did look delicious, though. I did want to eat those pancakes.
2: I assumed you would, yeah.
1: All I can say is... Courage finally got the haircut that Muriel thought he got.
2: I thought the same thing. Last (laughs) episode. Of course, she didn't notice this time. It's a bad haircut. But I do have to say, and I told David this as well, I was so impressed with his ability to work the word ebullient into a (laughs) children's show. And this was the first time I'd ever heard that word. And I remember looking it up because I didn't, at the time, know what it meant. I still don't know what it means. Cheerful, joyful. Joyful. Energetic in a joyful, cheerful way. I just think
1: of bouillon cubes. I'm thinking savory, you know. <laughs> Should have known. Mm.
2: Ebullient. You've learned a new word here, listener. If you didn't, if you didn't remember it from 1999, the way that I did. Chicken stock flavored. Yeah, I love anything in verse. It's a good time.
1: It was a good time.
2: As bad of a time as it is, it's a good. Time. It was a
1: freaky time. Mm-hmm. It was the good of times. Freakiest it was the freakiest of times. Of times. <laughs> It was the darkest of times. Oh, man.
2: I feel like there are, like, at least 10 better ways we could have said that, but I love that we committed to it. And at least
1: 10 different people who just turned off the episode.
2: Yep. With love.
1: Never listening again. (laughs) It's time for the scarometer. (laughs) You've made it. Congratulations, listener.
2: Aren't you proud of yourself?
1: (laughs) You should be. (laughs) Orange, you proud of yourself? Wow. What'd you give this one?
2: I gave this one a 9 also. Yeah. I don't know what I'm saving the 10 for, but I'm the kind of person <laughs> that yeah. that needs you can't to save it. Yeah,
1: until you know.
2: Yeah. Um, you're going to
1: retroactively give something a 10.
2: I very well might. Player. So watch out for that because that is a very strong likelihood. But I I gave it a 9 not only because of all of the dark stuff that we talked about and all of the whether it was intended or not weirdness Mm -hmm. and discomfort that I had around this episode, yes, um, but also the voice and the fact, like how many things I remembered about it. right? And I felt like if it stuck with baby Kaelin that much, it probably scared her too. Mm -hmm. However much I have tried to forget about the fear. It was definitely easier to watch as an adult As a kid, I just almost couldn't even look right at it. It was one of those things. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about? I couldn't quite look right at Fred's face. Sure. But as an adult, obviously, the visual of it was not quite as difficult to watch. But I will say, the idea of it was perhaps more difficult to watch as a (laughs) grown-up.
1: Right. Another not scary episode, necessarily, but a very disturbing premise. Yes. From my perspective.
2: Sure. What'd you give it? Uh, I gave it an eight. Oh, wow. Okay. Um.
1: Because less
2: than the mattress demon.
1: Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Okay, because it's not overtly frightening, but I am very uncomfortable with the idea of being locked in a bathroom at all.
2: Exactly, yeah,
1: but being locked in a bathroom with a stranger and not just someone that I'm forced to talk to, no. but someone who is trying to touch me,
2: has some sort of intention. Towards me,
1: yeah, yeah, I don't like that at Whatever all. Whatever
2: it is, I don't care. I don't want to do it.
1: <laughs> I almost gave it a nine, but then I thought about how I gave Cats Motel a nine,
2: mm-hmm. and I
1: was like, "No, that one overtly scares me more. Okay, just the concept of like being watched in a motel and spiders sure. trying to come bite me.
2: No, that's fair. That's and a good point. All kinds
1: of stuff. I'm like, that's like a horror episode. Yeah, this one is a, it's a psychological horror, I guess, mm-hmm. or like a thriller. This is like a thriller more than it is. A horror episode. Yeah.
2: There's a lot more of the like suspenseful, drawn out. Yeah. You know what's happening, but you have to watch it happen anyway. hmm Like you would in like a thriller.
1: Man. What a time.
2: Man. I've been waiting to talk about this one. I hope I I helped you. I hope that it I, we did it justice because it <laughs> looms so. so large in so many of our child minds. I mean,
1: both of these episodes tonight are the ones I always think about.
2: The fact that they were paired together. Unreal.
1: I think so far a pattern I'm seeing is that the episodes that are paired together is one is at night and one's during the day. Is that true?
2: That could be. Uh, I'm trying to think.
1: Cat's Motel is night. Granny Stew is day. Shadow of Courage is night. LaQuack is day. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot is night. Hothead is day. Yeah. Demon Mattress is night. Freaky Fred is
2: day. Whoa. Night, day, night, day, night, day. I got it. Nice. I have never, I got it. I have never even considered that. I figured it out. Let's see if the pattern continues, though.
1: Next time you watch it, I'll be (laughs) way, way different.
2: But so far, (laughs) it's a good observation.
1: So far. And also, I don't think in this episode we had a courage. uh, This is something, or my name is.
2: No, I don't think we did. It's the first
1: time we didn't have it.
2: We only had it in Mantra's Demon. That's right. Wow.
1: Five for six milestones. No, seven for eight.
2: I we're hitting math. some milestones and we're Uranium. unable to say numbers <laughs> here on That's Pretty Dark. Oh, oh, one thing. There is a lovely little reanimated version of Freaky Fred on YouTube. Okay. Um, I saw it beforehand, but David also mentioned this today. I spoke to him earlier before we started to record, and he mentioned that there's this reanimated version on YouTube. It's a project, collaborative project from a nonprofit of Dozens of animators Mm -hmm. that each animated one cut or one moment of the episode in their style. So it flips back and forth between lots of different styles. Some that I really like, some that are really off-putting. Some that make him even freakier than he is already. Wow. All
1: right. I want to see it.
2: It's kind of a good time. So uh, I would recommend going and checking it out. It has... David and I uh, mutually freaked out about the fact that it has over 8 million views on YouTube. Wow. So... Clearly, people are interested in going back to it. So, listener, if you haven't already seen it, it, might be interesting for you. My
1: God, we just need like 1% of those people to listen to hey. this episode.
2: Yeah, they're searching it. Maybe they'll find it. 1%! On thatsprettydark.com. That would be great.
1: Wow, cool. What a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate you being here. Uh, we have some new patrons.
2: Yeah, thank you, Hannah C. Hannah C. For being a patron, joining us on Patreon, we really appreciate your support, Hannah C. Hannah Do. Um, We released a new mini episode over there this week. We are truly doing the best we can to get the content out there, but even you yeah. know, if, if you just like what we do and you support our show um, and it means something to you to support what we do, it means the world to us and we appreciate it so much. And if you want to get in on that, you can go to patreon.com slash tpdpodcast. If you
1: want to make us feel freaky, but also not freaky, just good.
2: Freaky in a good way.
1: If you want to possess our hearts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. No, really every cent that we're making right now, we're putting back into the show, which I I think is really great because it's just a testament to how much we care about the show and and what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And every email, every DM, every comment message that you send us that it means something to you, every review that you post up on the good old Apple podcast, we really appreciate all of your kind words and we love journeying back into your childhoods. It's really fun good time for us too mm-hmm. who knew that you'd be able to learn about the exorcist and uh freaky fred all in one place? I'm having such a good time
1: it's so fun we just kicked another one in the dishpan. kicked
2: another who, one in who, the dishpan. Who. who 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 we did it <laughs> one other kind of funny note i had the subtitles on when i was watching it uh-huh. whenever eustace is leaving the house when he says i guess i better get the subtitles actually said g-i-t get. <laughs> yes <laughs> i guess i better, guess I better get, I better get. <laughs> That's so good. just thought that was pretty funny. Thought you might appreciate.
1: I do. I do appreciate. I hope you guys appreciate.
2: We hope you do too, listener. Yeah. Remember, don't be nice just out of obligation. And if you see something, say something. Or call the hotline that's on the wrist of the person (laughs) that's freaking you out.
1: (laughs) You don't have to be nice, and you're never alone.
2: Yep, you have my permission. If anybody's mad about you not being... uh, hospitable. You can just say that But Kaelin from That's Pretty Dark
1: told me I could punch him in the face. She told me I could.
2: I'm not advocating for violence. And Christian
1: said, don't be delicate. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys.
2: Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. We very much appreciate you, and we will see you as soon as we can.
1: Go watch The Exorcist and let me know what you think.
2: Go check out our merch. It's out there now. Go get it. Go get and Get, get it. you some. G-I-T.
1: Won't you join me in wearing our merch?
2: We dare you to be <laughs> naughty. In our merch. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews.
1: Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration.
2: Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast.
1: Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember you're never really alone.
2: So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.